Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. everyone welcome to going off track it's steven with jonah and brad mike got another job <laughs> the fucker it's always working somebody's got to support us i mean why does he want to feed his child so much that he <laughs> works consistently it's ridiculous so hopefully we'll have mike back very soon uh today on the program we have Artie shepherd almost we have we almost have the hat trick of the owners of saint vitus here in brooklyn i know george we're coming for you <laughs> We've had on Justin Skirty. And uh, Justin's in a bunch of bands, much like Artie. Artie was in, was in Instruction. He was in Instruction, Aerotype 11. Yeah, Gay for Johnny Depp. Gay for Johnny Depp, uh, Mind Over Matter, I and, believe. And he's just a fun, awesome dude who... And I feel like we're missing... Oh, Primitive Weapons? Yeah. Oh, right on. Is who he plays with now? Oh, with, with Justin's... We're going to have all of Primitive... We have, we've had almost all of Primitive Weapons in already. Yeah, we really have. They've actually hung out here at the wonderful Rubber Track Studios, who allows us to come in here and make this podcast sound as awesome as it does, which is due to that man sitting across from me who you can't see, Brad. Yeah. Yeah, they, re- yeah, they recorded here. Primitive Weapons. It was pretty uh, awesome. They are. Yeah, they're a really good band. You guys should all check them out. Um, Brad specifically started telling a story before we started recording, and we're like, <sighs> wait, hold on to it. What happened? I don't know. It's so... I'm so... It's unsettling? It's, a de- it's, a, it's one of those... Do the right thing stories. That mm. Do the right going. thing and get signed. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, I rented a zip van because I had to go pick up a bunch of beer for a party here. It's important. Total, after two decades of driving cargo vans with trailers for literally hundreds of thousands of miles, I finally backed one into another car. So in the parking lot, I backed into not like a piece of crap, not another zip car, but somebody's BMW sedan. Of course. Into the door. I get out. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. I'm like, I didn't have a pen and paper or anything with me. I only had the zip car for like two hours. I was running late. I'm like, fuck it. You know, it's the middle of the day. This person's probably at work. I'll leave him a note when I get back, right? So I take off. I get down the highway and I'm starting to think, dude, like if that person comes out and sees that car, what if they were looking out the window? What if they live nearby? I'm like, they're going to be so pissed that I bailed. So I called here, got an intern to go over there and leave a note. I said, take some pictures, leave a note, get my number. I mean, I don't want to be that guy. You know, like I figured there's got to be some insurance on the zip van side or something, even if there's a deductible, like 
So anyway, I'm nervous for you. <laughs> this part works out, right? Like the guy, the guy actually came out while she was there. He was really, he was so psyched that like I was doing the right thing. And he's like, I talked to him on the phone. He's like, dude, that's so cool. You know, you could have just totally bailed and like, but you know, so he's fine. So I make the report to, he's anxious to get this report into Zipcar so that he can get his insurance. So I'm, I make the report to Zipcar. I send him photos of the car door. I even send him photos of the van, of the bumper, even though there was nothing, not even like paint on the bumper of the van, you know, because it's a big ass cargo van. This is like, I just literally like dented in the door a little bit on this car. So I haven't checked my, this is one of my junk emails that goes to that Zipcar has. So I checked it and like, there's an email like from four days ago with a bill. So there's a $750 deductible on zip cars. What? Like if you screw up a zip car, you're responsible for $750 of the deductible. So they have a bill that's itemized. It comes out to seven forty nine and 10 cents. And I'm like, that's curious that it would be so close and actually a little bit under the deductible but whatever i'm reading it it doesn't say anything about a bmw and it references this cargo van over and over again so i open the photos and there's the van with the whole side like dented in like all this damage to the door and like dude like nothing to do with me like i actually sent them photos of the van of the car this is like a whole nother issue it was the same name as the van. Like, it was the same van. I'm almost 100% that this damage that they had sent me photos of wasn't even on the van when I rented it. So whatever happens with the BMW, they're already on me for this, like, other deal. That, that I, like, I don't know whether it happened before and I just didn't notice because I didn't get... You, they were just get, so psyched that they had a van that somebody was nice dude, and like, oh, finally, we'll get this van fixed. It's exactly my thoughts. Like this They're like, oh, we've been meaning to get room, this fixed. This pathetic Samaritan. We got him. Dude. Nothing's so, for free. I don't know. I have to call him. Who knows? Maybe I'll call him and be like, oh, we're so sorry. That was a different claim. Whatever. But as of now, I'm so ripped. Dude, Ugh. you just have to call and be like, I'll never use Zipcar again. Like, I use it all the time. Oh, I left like, the guy. I called him last night at 11 o'clock, and I said, listen, like, <laughs> I don't know what these photos are for, but, like, I guarantee you if any of this appears on my credit card bill, I will declare it fraudulent and report you to the Better Business Bureau because, like, this is insane. Like, I was so anal and explicit in my traffic report. That, in like, Obama's America. <laughs> Uh, I got into a customer service altercation this week that saw the owner of a company writing an email he thought he was writing to another employee that he sent to me where he called me an asshole and a tool. <laughs> tool? That's what I get called. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Maybe this guy has re- reviewed our podcast on iTunes. It's but, Sweden style. Uh, it was one of the sweetest moments ever where i was like <laughs> oh man so you complained and then the owner actually emailed you i complained i was complaining to this girl who was very sweet who worked there about this product that didn't work and uh she uh i copied her boss on it um and because th- i found out who her boss was through a friend and uh this guy i guess thought that he was replying to her but replied directly to me so uh yeah, it was it was one of those moments where I was like, "Man, come on!" So did you did you get to write back and be like, "No, by the way, you hit reply all." Oh, he didn't even hit reply all. He just wrote an email to me. 
And he was like, he was, it was so good. I can't oh, what even tell a moron. you. He was like, uh, he was like, hey, whatever her name was, you can handle this. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what I might say. I'm afraid I might say the wrong thing or something. And I just wrote back. I'm like, hey, man, it looks like you've already said the wrong thing because you sent this to me. <laughs> and uh, it all worked out in the end. But uh, <laughs> but and then uh, me and Lucas, had, our recent guest, had a little uh, little war with Time Warner couple weeks ago that we attacked them on twitter and from all all pistons going off track actually uh t- tweeted a question with to me i was tweeting at myself from like the podcast account like has this been resolved yet? <laughs> <laughs> like no one cares and i'm like no and lucas is chiming in it's a sad day for customer service oh time <laughs> warner has you by the balls if you yeah uh, fighting time warner is a losing battle i just tried to make it fun Dude, yeah, my my I'm not allowed to talk to Time Warner. We have Time Warner at home. My wife always talks to him, and I just pop up and down in the background, going files, files, files. <laughs> oh, dude, oh, totally. Hi. You know, uh, someone was telling me that uh, that Time and Warner pl- employees use files. Like at Time <laughs> Warner, they use files or something. I don't know if that's true, but I keep worrying that like. Time Warner, I keep shit talking them. I'm worried they're gonna like plant stuff. Like these people are in charge of my internet. Oh yeah. yeah. Like what if they're like check out all these sites you went to? I'm like I didn't, and they're like, well, it says that you did. Nowadays, with Google and Facebook just handing shit over to the government, like uh, it's it's obnoxious. Yeah, so, I know. I I mean that seriously. Like some guy, I read about some guy who got his Google handed his email over because he was a, a moderator, like on a WikiLeaks message board, and Google just said, like, here you go, here's his stuff. To the government. Yeah, that's pretty weak. So yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to have Jamie Kilstein back on because of, with all this NSA stuff, because he's been going nuts to. about it, and I feel like he probably knows more about it than a lot of people, and you, I know you, basically nothing. You have to be passionate to be so informed, and I'm just not that informed nor passionate. Yeah, but a passionate, informed gentleman is sitting with us today, Artie Shepard. Here, listen. I think this whole show should go Alex Jones. What do you guys think? I, yeah, I, I would love. That's like my dream. Let's do it. <laughs> just Obama behind the yeah crazy, I, I just I the craziest shit ever. Just like <laughs> I listen to Alex Jones every day, just because I really? want to see how fucking crazy people are. And then yeah. and then half of the shit that they report comes out in mainstream news, and it's real. <laughs> like what the fuck? It's and totally the fucked thing up. That he's, he always harps on with uh, with the nine eleven thing about. Um, who is it like Rumsfeld saying there was a sec or like them saying Rumsfeld said like they shot down the plane yeah. and then went back on it and then they like they never mentioned it. But that was like the first thing he said. It's crazy. Like some of the stuff. Oh, yeah. The Pentagon, the thing where they show you ever seen the video of the Pentagon like the the damage like there was no pieces of the plane found at the Pentagon. Oh, that's the one. I mean, I I try to ignore these conspiracy theories, but yeah, if you look at that and the video footage, which you can see. Yeah, there's video footage of it. If you look at – the thing is, is like, so I'm not – I fucking hate conspiracy theories because they're just so – I love them. I love them. I love them, but the the 9-11 one I have trouble with. Well, that's the thing is that the Pentagon one – the reason that it bothered me was because there was a website that said, look at this. There's no there's no wrecked plane. No, except for Tower 7, right? Building 7, which went down at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Right. And they reported it being down five minutes. Like the woman, there's a great, I think it's a BBC reporter or ITV or whatever. And, and she's like, Building 7 has fallen and it's still up. It's on uh, YouTube. It's still up behind her. 
And then like a couple of seconds later, it comes down. But see, even that can be. But the thing about the Pentagon thing that I found most disturbing was that they show you this footage. On You go to the conspiracy website and they show you this footage and they're like, even in this footage, you can clearly see that it's a missile. There's no tail section. There's yeah. no plane. And that's on the foot. But then if you go to all the news sites and find the same footage, it that's what it looks like. It looks like a missile. Doesn't look like an airplane. Well, so hey, that my, was disturbing. My so. problem with the conspiracy—I I like reading about the conspiracy stuff and I like listening to it. But to me, especially the government stuff, I feel like everything's so unorganized. Like some pulling off stuff that big. I oh, feel yeah. like someone would leak something. Someone would right. come out. Like there's no way this stuff can be coordinated Dude, so perfectly. Idea, and then you see how everything the else works. Of, how many explosive experts would it take to fucking line the twin towers with explosives so that it would fall? I mean, come on. <clears throat> right. Like yeah. and, and, and what do they think, do? Just kill everybody right after it happens? People think it's like ridiculous. the hardcore people think that they planned it when they built the towers. Like they Jeez. built it in, so it, when it got hit by a plane, like forty years later, this would. And it's like, dude, you think like a contractor was just gonna be like, okay, do whatever. Like, the only thing I'll agree with is that I think they let it happen because, like, oh, they, 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 they could have shot down the planes, yeah, and they should have, and they should have, yeah. yeah. I mean, the the idea that these four retards could get in a plane and fly it perfectly into the World Trade Center is is beyond comprehension to but, me. Like, I mean, I, I, do you think it was like a PR thing? Like if they shot down a plane full of innocent people? Then, oh, it would have been a disaster. I mean, imagine what... Because, because I mean... That it, would have been your cover-up right then. If that had happened, that would have been, oh my God, this horrible thing happened. And then that would have been... That would have been the conspiracy right then if the military had decided, yeah, you know, to, to save so many people, we're going to kill this many. Then that, that, that would have been an accurate... And, and, conspiracy that yeah been... i think that they did that to the one plane for sure yeah well no i think they, they shot NORAD, it down the thing is that NORAD they say stood that... down they told norad to stand down which is like what which Why one the one that hit in pennsylvania yeah yeah the witnesses have said like they saw fighter jets next to it yeah and, and there was nothing left yeah nothing huh. whole... i think they sh- i think they shot that one down but they just didn't couldn't have done the new it might have not have been a rough rough call to make right yeah and i mean so i'm they, sure no so one they wants turned to somebody into a hero or the crew, the people on the plane into a hero to, in order to just the best cover up. See, that make. one, that one I'll take. Yeah. Because that, you know, you're trying to save and I'm, people. I'm glad they shot it down. You know, yeah, I, I mean, who knows, yeah, no, I think who knows did. how many people could have been killed where they took it into some crazy. But the know. fact that the other planes were in like a fucking on their way to an urban area. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine if you shot the plane down and it came down in a, in a suburban area or like an urban area? I mean, yeah, I mean, you what know. a nightmare. Yeah, the government, no they were put what. in a position where they couldn't do much. But I, I just think on an intelligence level, they let it happen. Because if you look, if, if you watch any of those conspiracy theory movies, like some, you know, half of them are fucking crazy. But the whole idea of invading Iraq, that's been in plans for, that had been in plan for so long. And oh, they were looking for an excuse. With, yeah, that had nothing to do with it. That and was. I think they didn't even try with that one. Like, it's yeah. so obvious. Yeah, like it, they wanted a Pearl Harbor and they just created it. And like, it wasn't, it didn't even make sense to anybody, you know? Well, it's, you know, it's all, it's that old, old FDR statement that for World War II was, you know, we're helping out a lot of people. You know, you you can ruin Europe for a while for a few years, then we'll step in, yeah. but we'll do that. But war is a great thing for the economy. Um, not this, anymore. Not anymore because <laughs> it, you know, didn't quite get the money's worth on everything that went into Iraq. Well, um, also because of empire. If, once you have an empire, you have to keep it up and it's like... That's when war becomes costly as opposed to when you're taking over lands and suddenly like, you know, it's like it's good for a little while. Then you got to maintain it. And that's when shit goes down. You know, I mean, it's you're building bases all over the world, like all of that shit. And Iraq was all about like, I mean, 
Halliburton's the ones who made the most money yep, out of that. Totally. Flat you out. Know, billions. So another conspiracy theorist, Artie Shepard, here is with us today. <laughs> um. <laughs> I just like to weed out the crazy people. <clears throat> Doomsday Preppers, dude. Or establish yourself. Doomsday Preppers? Doomsday Preppers. <laughs> I kind of want to watch that show because I feel that I, I just need, there's some things I should probably have. Dana Gould had this great line on, on, on his podcast about how, you know, he has all this backup food and things because he lives in California if there's an earthquake hit. Because he said, as a parent, you don't ever want to say the phrase, and if we're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> like, you want to have everything. So, like, at my house now, we've got some bottled wa- water and a box of ramen noodles. Like, just in case shit goes down. Yeah. Is ramen noodles considered storable food? Uh, I don't think it, it could go like 25 years. Hours. I think it can. I, I think... Th- I think it's like a Twinkie. Yeah, you were I just think- <laughs> I just listened to the Tim Kreider episode of our podcast and we talk about this a little bit. We talk about that Michael Rupert documentary uh collapse. Yeah, yeah. Which that to me is like that's kind of what turned me on to a lot of stuff. I mean Joe Rogan and that stuff, but I watched that and I was like, Whoa, this seems really Well real. yeah, I mean the, the idea see like during the hurricane, that whole thing with the gas and like all of that shit, like that scared the crap out of me. Like, just the whole gas situation. I was like, this is weird. The fact, especially because it could happen well, here. Like, right. People, and nothing should meaning, ever happen here. We live in a bubble. Exactly. Yeah. Okay? Meaning, meaning gas that is in fuel or gas is in, like... Uh, gas fuel. Fuel. Gas fuel. Yeah. Okay, got it. Because, I mean, the food thing, there was no... But the thing is, is that once the gas is gone, you can't get food to the stores. You can't... I mean, it's just, like, we're so dependent on it, and it became really blatantly clear at that point, you know, like, with, that that was the case. I managed to, to ration a tank of gas for three weeks during that time, which was... I was quite proud of myself. Nice. All right, so we met when when you were in instruction. Yeah. And it was a very funny time because it was during the Republican National Convention in... And, yeah, and the Fuse offices were right by Madison Square Garden. On and, four, I think-ish? No. Six? Six. Uh, oh, six. six. Yeah. And uh, across the street was Republican National Convention. No, it couldn't have been 06 because the election was 04. I have no idea what the numbers. Yeah. So yeah. it must have been 04. <laughs> okay. So you walked in and you had a George Bush doll. Yeah, I was going to hang him for war crimes on, on the air. And as soon as I saw the doll, I immediately ran upstairs to my desk because I had the exact same doll. your mom sent it to you. She sent it to me as a joke because my parents are very far to the right. And I had it on my desk being sodomized by a Sid Vicious doll. <laughs> I was like, I have to bring this down. So I think we did like a dueling George Bush thing. We did. And, I tried, and then I tried to pull the pants down and do some banging and yeah. uh, i think you guys cut to commercial really quick <laughs> it was uh it was funny because you know, it was live right yeah if i remember correctly and and um the producers all came in to the dress <laughs> the green room before me and they were like well, what do you plan on doing with that and i was just like and and i had already been through hell with the police outside so when i was trying to get because they had the uh i guess it was 32nd street blocked off mm-hmm. and i was trying to get up to the to the to the offices and they were like what do you they looked through my bag they're like what are you going to do with that and I was like, I'm going to hang him for war crimes on TV. And he's like, he's like, uh, you realize that I could arrest you for even saying that. And I was just like, really? You can? Wow. <laughs> like, and I, for some reason, like, he just, like, backed down and, and let me go. I mean. Because it was a lie. Well, <laughs> that's not a true story. Not anymore. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Now they can do whatever they want. Yeah, that's true. Drones. As long as it's a robot doing it, they can do it. Oh, well, of course, yeah. Be done. That the next, yeah, next, next book. I remember we were. When we were sitting in the in the studio, though, there was guys with uh, guns mm-hmm. on top of the like Penn Station awning, and like like you could see them, 
Like it was weird. Like there was well, whenever the president is involved in anything, the snipers come in. It's like and in it sounds awful, but it, you know if you go to D.C., I had a buddy who worked for the D.C. Police Department for years, and he knew where all the vans were. Right, the CIA vans. They yeah. got them. Yeah, and they're pointing and, in every direction. And he knew where all the um, you know he know he knows where all the you know all the rooftops are. Like that's why whenever. The president comes in New York City. Every cab driver's like, "Oh God," because you know, everything is, every street is blocked off. You know, every corner of every building is hit with someone. There's someone stationed. It's. I remember being a friend. My friend lived in Red Square on Houston, and Bill Clinton was eating at Katz's Deli. I walked by that day. It was, yeah, and it was crazy because there was like literally 200 <clears throat> cops on motorcycles, and they closed down Houston. Which is insane yeah. in the middle of the day. And um, he lived in the penthouse, so I walked out on the balcony and he had a BB gun. And he's like, oh. and he, he's from DC. He as got well. shot. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, go for it. Go, go stand outside on there. See how, <laughs> see how long you last. And like, and we, it was funny because we got, I, I did go out on the balcony and I was, you could see a decoy walked out, a guy who looked like Bill Clinton. I mean, I couldn't tell who it was, but there was like, like, they sent decoys out into different cars, and you couldn't tell which car he was in. Oh, wow. There's another thing, too, that presidents can't go over bridges in cars. I, I heard something like that, that they have to fly. Really? I mean, I could be wrong. but that, It's that funny because I walked familiar. by Katz's that very day. I remember that. And, like, you know what impressed me? I saw the whole motorcade. I saw the black, like, SUVs. At the very back, there was, like, a black Ford Econoline van. It looked like a normal van, except... That it had all these little bulges, like in little random areas around. Yeah, they it. literally like, have them facing. They have they have <clears throat> like snipers facing in every direction. Yeah, but mm-hmm. this was like, I think this was like the tech van. This was like the the communications. It, it it was not like anything I'd ever seen. Like there were just these like random kind of bulges through it, where there was some kind of there was they had some kind of gear inside that wouldn't fit in the van so they had to like put these little i just like I want to get in that van that's what I wanted more than anything else <laughs> man, I want to see, see what they got see what's in there man they got a recording <laughs> studio they're like jamming yeah. <laughs> He's, there's a saxophone in the corner like every once in a while Clinton wants to blow yeah so we got to be ready with Pro Tools yeah. and you know, it's all set Dude, there's another van for the opposite <laughs> I, I, I knew that that was coming <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> so you've been in a lot of bands. Yeah, who hasn't? <laughs> you know, uh, God, everyone in this room has been in a band. Everybody, God, well, look at you know, go 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 bar hopping in Williamsburg and Greenpoint, and go up to the bartender, and go, what do you do? Like besides this, like what do you think? So you are <laughs> <laughs> in Long Island. I feel like we've had Skirty on, obviously, like we that hardcore scene. People still love it. Um, that's not what I wanted to say. No. I mean, it seems like it's been super influential. And in yeah, yeah, it was a, it was an awesome time, and it was like, you know, it's interesting that that I'm part of doing shows again, like a DIY. Well, sort of as DIY as you can be in New York City, um, legally. Uh, the it, it was it was cool. It was like one of those things where like we we went out of our way to sort of find spaces and book these bigger bands and do stuff that. You know, it kind of keep the tough guy hardcore thing out, which was very big at the time. It was like the end of the CB's matinees. And it was something that sort of really turned me off. Like, I had no interest in it at all. And, you know, I got into ABC No Rio and the peace punk thing. And, like, I was like, though, you know, that had its own uniform and its own crust punk retarded issues that, you know, I never understood people who did heroin and then called for a change in the world. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. But, but the music was a little bit better and I didn't feel threatened uh, that I was going to 
end up in the hospital at a show, which, you know, is fine and all if that's what you want to do. I just, you know, chose not to be there. But, um, yeah, and we wound up, like, finding these spaces on Long Island and doing these big shows, and it became, like, a spot to come to, and, and it was super cool. And the bands that developed out of that were very different. Like, every band was different and popular and went on to influence the bands that later became really big, like Taking Back Sunday and Brand New and Glassjaw. And, uh, what years was this? Um, I guess Mind Over Matter, which was my first band, started in 1990. Uh, and we, our first record came out in 91. I remember I got my first record deal when I was, I think I was 18. And Ed from Taking Back Sunday was in that band. Um, one of the many he got thrown out of on Long Island. But, um, <laughs> he, uh, Eddie in here. I love him. I went to CB's to meet with this record label, this German record label. We were in America. And, uh, and we saw, I saw Quicksand, Nausea, and a band called Drop Acid, which was Kevin Second's side project, which was a really weird band. And uh, and I, it was crazy. I was talking about this last night. I was like, yeah, that was the day that I got my first record deal. And it was killer. And it was, like, awesome. And I wound up, like, you know, joining another band that was on that label, toured Europe when I was 19. And when we went to Europe, like, me and my my roommate at the time, Artie Philly, um, two Arties living together, it was very strange. Um uh, we came back and we saw the way they treated... It's a new sitcom, I think. Yeah, Thursdays. totally. It's awesome. <laughs> we came, we went to Europe and we saw the way they treated bands over there. And we were like, this is the way to do it, man. Like, you feed them. You know, like, you just make it hospitable enough where they want to come back. And we did... We went, came back to Long Island. We kind of started doing that. And then they found the PWAC, which was this huge space that had a kitchen in it. And it was like, oh, cool. This is how we do it. And then every band that came to New York, they were literally bypassing New York City because there was no place to play. And going straight to Long Island, where there was a huge ton, you know, hardcore and punk is a very youth culture oriented thing. So you're going to have, when you have kids in suburban areas, that's what they wind up doing. And it's, it's kind of cool. And it's like, all of that was done, obviously, pre-internet, pre-cell phone, all that stuff. So it was like, literally like my parents' home phone, you know, that people would call like, yeah, man. So you're from Long Island and you just got into putting up your own shows? Yeah. Flat out. Pretty much, yeah. That's such a great way of doing it. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. It's so funny when, when I get emails now for St. Vitus and people are like, why is it 21 and over and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, "If look, kid, <laughs> yeah. check it out. It's called New York State Insurance Laws, okay? It has nothing to do with alcohol. It has to do with insurance. And I've learned this, you know, over the years and I handle all that for St. Vitus. And it's like, if you really want to book shows that are all ages, go find a space, go call somebody, offer them some money and do it. That's it. You know what I mean? Like we, on, on, like we wound up at the PWAC getting Fugazi. That was like sort of the culmination of all these great things and, and really doing something that was – and all the, uh, all, almost all the profit uh, – all the profit went to the People with AIDS Coalition, which is what the PWAC was. So it was all for profit. That's why eventually we got Fugazi and it was like – that was just the pinnacle of like, oh my god, we just booked Fugazi. You got to be kidding me. I mean I was on the peripheral at that time because I had moved to the city. But it was like incredible. You know, and it's like – that stuff is, I think that like, you know, that stuff still can exist. There, there's a bit more of a nanny state now where it's a lot more difficult to, to sort of organize. And I think that adults are very suspicious of kids sort of congregating, you know, like they, they always think that there's always a couple of bad apples. The kid is drinking in the parking lot, the kid who took drugs, but you know, back then, like a lot of these kids were straight and it was something for them to do. And I, people really couldn't wrap their head around it. So we would always lose venues, but eventually we got, we got the PWAC, and that was awesome. Just amazing. 
which Justin was one of the leaseholders. And, you know, it was, it was a cool time and a lot of great bands came out of it. And that's the thing is a scene when you have a stable place scenes, that's where scenes come out because it's consistent and kids know where to go. And, you know, it doesn't, it's really hard to happen in New York city, really hard. I mean, we've been lucky at Vitus that we've been able to do what we've done and we've really seen a scene revolve, you know, kind of come around it and, and, it's it's awesome. You know, it's more of a metal scene, but metal's what's happening now. So, made a comeback. It's not a dirty word anymore. <laughs> <laughs> metal's it. So, uh, so in, instruction. I mean, you got some video play. Was that a, was that a major label? You had Tom Capone. Yeah, we were on Geffen. Um, was that after Airtype? Yeah, it was. The, it was literally. I broke up Airtype and got signed to Geffen six months later with the same songs that Airtype had been playing for the year before that. We just changed our name. Okay. We changed our name and went to England, and. The right people saw us at the right time, started getting on all these big tours, did tours with, uh, well, I mean, a lot of the bands you wouldn't know, but one band who became huge that we toured with at that time was Biffy Clyro, who now just gigantic. And at the time when I toured with them, I came home screaming. They were on Beggar's Banquet. I was like, please release this band's record. They're so good. They wouldn't release it in America. And I was like, this, you have no idea. Every day we would sit there and watch them jam for two hours before soundcheck. And it was fucking unbelievable they're like great unbelievable i've like, seen them it's one of those they've weird changed things, like, a lot uh, but yeah. they're, they're like the british foo fighters now but back then they were like a prog band and just fearless and it was just i mean incredible like a mind-blowing i was so like inspired and amazed and like you know two records later then you know they're huge and selling out you know two nights at wembley and all that stuff and now they're they're i guess they're coming over with muse I wrote to them to try and get them to play Vitus. I was like, come on, dude. Because they played, they played <laughs> I Bowery Electric. Electric. I saw yeah. that show a couple really? months ago. And I was like, really, guys? Bowery Electric, really? You can't come and play my bar? Come on. <laughs> so this has kind of been... So having your own bar with a venue, I mean, that, you've been gearing up towards this basically your whole life. It, it, it was the only thing left, really. I, did, I mean, what else am I going to do? I have no skill set at all. I think like a lot of um, dudes from the 90s who, who were tricked by the Nirvana craze... Um, into thinking that, you know, being a sort of average musician, that's my stomach, Jesus. <laughs> that's incredibly <laughs> that, uh, loud. Um, that, uh, you, you, we were all sort of tricked into thinking that you could make a living cause you could for a little while and then the shit hit the fan and it's like, okay, what the hell do I do now? Like you never stop writing. You never stop playing music. I wrote for other people for a while, like right after instruction, because I was like, I still had like these big producers, like Bob Ezrin did the instruction record and, and uh, Brian Virtue was the engineer. Like, they, these people who are now, like, you know, the big dudes. Like, my old A&R at Geffen would hire me to write with people. My old manager, Bill McGathy, would, you know. So it was like, I was doing all that, but, like, those situations kind of sucked. And it, But I was bartending the whole time. So I kind of was like, I got, when instruction got dropped, we got totally screwed by Geffen. And... I didn't make any pay or play, which is what you get when you get dropped before. There may uh, be actually an organization for that now. Bands screwed by Geffen. Oh, yeah, uh, well. Especially yeah. from the 90s. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Oh, believe me, I'm sure that maybe. Uh, maybe I should go online and start a, start a group we can get together. I don't even know if the label still exists. And, uh, and yeah, so it was like I kind of fell into bartending because, like, what do I do well? Well, I was a lead singer and I can drink a lot. Boom. <laughs> you know so so you know somewhat know your strength angsty charismatic and uh and you know and i yeah i could drink angsty like charismatic literally. that's my business card <laughs> 
curmudgeonly charismatic. Uh, and I could do 25 shots of whiskey and still close the bar and not have any, not have any problems. In so, a row? <laughs> over the course of, you know, a decent amount of time. Um, I think my record was 12. Uh, I did 12 um, uh, Irish car bombs in one shift. What killed and, Bonham? <laughs> yeah, that. No, last time I saw Stephen drink two beers, he oh, looked like he died. I've drunk, I've drunk with you before. Have you? Yeah, we were hanging out with oh, TBS and uh, and God help us, like freaking Ben Yellow Card at Niagara one night. Like Eddie had called me, like, "Oh, come out!" So we came out, and you you were actually hanging out. I think you were pretty drunk. I must have been, since I have no recollection of that. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. but you were probably living in these villages, so that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Wow. Oh, and Papa Roach was there too. Oh, it's a total freak show. Yeah. I remember this. It's really weird. Okay, now it's coming back. <laughs> wow. Did Papa Roach make it happen? Was it, if it was Niagara, was Brad DJing? Because that uh, might have been where I was, because Brad had this fun thing of like, come DJ. <laughs> and I would stand there and you would go drink. Yeah. It's like, it was. I called it my Tom Sawyer. Or no, Huckleberry Finn. Uh, no, Tom, Tom Sawyer would be much better. Was he the guy that did the, 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 the whitewashing yeah, 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 yeah. I prefer a good Rush song over. Uh, <laughs> I'd invite people to over Mark Twain, and novel. I would get paid, and <laughs> yeah. I'd get to go drink. Yeah, I would. I'd be like, "This is awesome!" But you taught me the the greatest thing about DJing is when someone asked you to play something, you say, "Yeah." Yeah, but you know who taught me that yeah. was Max. Max. Yeah. But then you don't play it. But I kind of would care. <laughs> Max really didn't care. Oh, yeah, I'll get to it, man. <laughs> I'll get to it. Cool. Like, I would kind of care. Anytime someone did that, I would just play a Misfits tune. Yeah. I've, like, learned that just in life in general. Sometimes it's better just Say to yes. be like, okay, and the person will never find out than, like, to, like, be like, no, and now I have to explain why and make a dialogue about this. You know why I stopped doing it at the bar? Why is that? Because but I used to, when I worked at Mattress, I would always be like, I don't take requests, period. Like, I, don't, I'm, I have a very specific plan when I play music. I don't want you to be distracted by it. I want you to drink and enjoy your conversation. So you just play stuff that sort of sounds like what you want to hear, but it's not specifically what you want to hear. Don't play oh, the hits. So it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's like advertising. Wow. So, so a very specific thing. <laughs> this is, these are my, I, I, I got bartending down to a science and uh, <laughs> I hate it with a passion. But the, so when, like, what would happen is that people would come up, like invite us, they come up and like, we'll get these people from all over the world. And it's like, Yes, I'm from Norway. Please, why don't you play some black metal? Why don't you play Dark Throne? And it's like, why, why the fuck do you want to hear Dark Throne in a bar? <laughs> like, I mean, like, all right, newer Dark Throne sounds better, but old Dark Throne sounds like shit. And it's like playing Guided by Voices at a bar. I love Guided by Voices, mm -hmm. but you can't listen to B Thousand at a bar. It sounds mm -hmm. terrible. You know what I mean? Like, you need low end. You need a, it's fucking terrible. Yeah. So. And it's the greatest drinking music in the world if you're by yourself. So, <laughs> so like, this, uh, this has happened a couple times where, like, I'll listen. I'll be like, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll put on Dark Throne. And the guy doesn't even fucking know it's Dark Throne. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't even know who they are. Well, he says he does because he's from Norway. Like, Give me a fucking break, dude. Anyway. <laughs> you know why it's called B-1000? Do I know why it's called B-1000? Do you know No, I don't. It's one of my favorite GBB facts. It's what it sounds like when you hold your tongue and you say Pete Townsend. <laughs> dude pollard he's, he's so out there he's so out there you know Love speaking him. of international people at the bar i feel so bad because i'm spacing out his name but you were actually suggested as a guest when we started talking by this dude in glasgow who oh ian ian yes yeah. ian who emailed sent us a super nice letter about email about the podcast right on. he's awesome uh but yeah he was like you should have already on i was like it's so weird because i was like literally had just emailed you <laughs> yeah ian's uh ian's been on the road with me a couple times He's like a dude who played in a band. We became friends, and and uh, and he he came out with Gay for Johnny Depp a couple times, and 
you know, my old band played a show with Gay for Johnny Depp that you probably wouldn't remember because it was so no, long No, ago. I'm sure I was blacked out before it I got on stage. It was like this art gallery in Williamsburg, in Bushwick or something. It, what, it wasn't the Asheron, but it was like a name like that. And it was like, it, Aaron Lefkoe, like got us on the show and there was like some weird bar. I remember seeing you guys play. I was in Spend the Love Kill, but it was a really weird show. It it was a gift Johnny Depp show. Yes. Of course, it was a weird yes. show. Nobody, nobody in, here in America, nobody really cared. But in England, they they adored and loved us. Really, they got the joke. Yeah, yeah. Our, for- our records only came out over there, and we would go a couple times a year. And it was like, you know, I still to this day we could probably draw like four or five hundred people in London if we played. Really, you know, That's which amazing. is like in this day and age, it's like fucking arena. You should do <laughs> it. I, I want to go back. It's you know how expensive it is. No. Very. <laughs> Let's itemize it. I saw the T-shirt before I knew it was a band, and when I saw the shirt, I went, "I need that." That's we wanted. We we tried our best to like make it almost into a, a merch company a brand. But you know, again, like people in America, no dice. Overseas, they loved it. Over here, it's like gave for Johnny Depp. What the fuck is that? Because over there, yeah. they all are. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got an English accent. You're obviously gay. <laughs> I always loved, there was this one, who's talking about, oh, it was Brett Anderson from Suede, or so, or no, somebody was talking about Suede, and Suede's one of my favorite bands ever, and like, they were talking about, could you imagine Suede on like David Letterman, and Brett Anderson is on doing his whole, you know, back in the day, like really first album style, like just totally flamboyantly animal heterosexually gay androgyny shit yeah and like some guy in the midwest watching david letterman going man who's this faggot (laughs) (laughs) like this was the reason why suede would never be popular in america period end of story they fell into that category where they tried to come over here and there was some band called suede yeah they became london suede london suede which is always the death knell yeah as soon as i thought i was like and they're out i was going to school in london when suede came out and it was this bowie-esque fervor of people you know tearing this guy's clothes off yeah it's because they were awesome yeah so it's a great they great were, i always say that they were the most punk rock band of the 90s because like they were doing stuff that like is so uncool mm-hmm. <laughs> like so uncool the second record dogman star was like had like these like five minute ballads like the uh, asphalt world's like 10 minutes long like just like why dude <laughs> And it's like it's one of my favorite records ever. It's tied with Hunky Dory, actually. So it kind of you know David Bowie suede thing, and it's just like why? It's like, I, I I remember Kerrang asked me to list like my favorite record of all time, and I said Dogman Star, and I gave said the reason why. I was like, well, I'd say Born Against, you know, Nine Patriotic Hymns, but I honestly feel like Suede was more punk rock than anybody because the whole point is to get a reaction and do something different, and they were doing something that was so out there, and they it, it was so good that you know. People overcame that whole. So you're hard to get a beat on musically because you got this. Uh, you could describe Sandbot as maybe you know a metal place. A lot of those bands play, but you're sitting there in a Depeche Mode shirt talking about suede, and you can name check Pollard songs probably backwards and forwards. I'm so. 40 years old, man. I've been into everything. You know, <laughs> I saw Oasis's first two shows in America. Oh wow. Um, yeah, like I, I kind of like I always say like I have a I have a master's degree in punk rock and metal. But I have a doctorate in Britpop and shoegaze. Like ah, yeah. <laughs> shoegaze is like my like and prog rock, of course, which I I don't even know. I I'm, I'm a professor emeritus of of, of prog rock, <laughs> whatever that means. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that means you know everyone who's ever been in King Crimson. Uh, close to it, yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't like discipline. Not a, not a fan of that that era, the eighties. 
thing. Um, I can but, honestly say that Prague is just, it's out of my wheelhouse. It's fine, dude. Like, it's all good. It's, it's the, the, the little bit I know, uh, we'll, we'll tie, tie it over. So how'd you feel when Kanye West sampled King Crimson? Uh, I hate hip hop. Oh, really? Yeah, across the board. Can't right. think of anything besides maybe Public Enemy, the typical white boy hip hop, Public mm-hmm. Enemy, NWA, um, like that that stuff. I so I, I always, think Kanye I like it. would fall into that. No, why? Oh, see, He's I, like... just, I just can't stand his. I don't. I, I don't relate. Like mm-hmm. it just doesn't do anything for me, and I'm too old to put it in, put in the effort. So it's like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but the lyric I sent a girl an email was a picture of my dick is poetry, dude. Brilliant. I sometimes think when people Actually, say they, that they like hip hop, that they're just lying. I mean, I, like, I, I, and and like that's just me because I feel I kind of feel similar. Like I like some of it, but I can't really relate. And I'm like, Hi, you can't listen to this all the time. But you like some of a lot of things. That's the point. It's like there's some country, but not a lot of country. There's some, you know, uh, like yeah, like like Steve Earle. Which yeah, I guess but isn't is that country. just like you yeah. know? I mean, music is it's taste. It's personal, yeah. and yeah. it's like, you know, I. But I do think there's a lot of like posturing in it, especially like maybe here. Like I feel like I want to like that's the called right lifestyle. Yeah, lifestyle marketing. <laughs> that's yeah. true. And you know, there, there's a funny correlation that I've I've noticed over the years between hip hop and and metal, and that's this. Uh, you can't see this on a podcast. Oh, the bob in your head. The bob in the head. So like you, you watch doom you doom did it bands. Backwards though. And it, is it so hip hop? Is this? Is it okay? You okay. Lean backwards. And, then, and then metal. Metal's metal forward. Right. Okay. Yeah. And punk, you have to have your arms crossed. <laughs> or have to be one of those little shits who lights fireworks at a fucking show. Wow, you should be yeah. able to beat them to the to death. If they that's do. like a Cleveland thing. That that it happens all, all the time. time. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yep. Yeah. I would. I think that's I'd kill so somebody. I, I swear to God, I'm. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't talk about it on the air because I'll probably get swarms. I mean, I don't know if anyone. If you're if you're that crusty, you don't have a radio so, or in a computer, even though you're sure you have an iPhone and your mom's credit card. But you know, freshly sewn patches on your fucking jacket. <laughs> I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? Um, At least they're not doing heroin, I think, anymore. Are they? Krusty's? Well, that's called Darwinism in that world. Oh, so. yeah, no, thank you, my friend. <laughs> I'm so glad I don't have to be the guy saying this stuff on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like, I'm right there with it. <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, no, I, I remember, I remember you know, for, for how many people when I lived in the East Village, I would see, you know, uh, on their phone with their, you know, need money for food yeah. sign. And they did have an ATM card in their, in their back pocket. Yeah. Oh, I've heard so many. Like, the, my friend of mine owns a liquor store. Williamsburg and like you know he's had many an experience with like people who were begging like crust punks back when they when they went before they got shooed out of the neighborhood they were like you know come in with all these singles like oh how much is a bottle of Evan Williamson I don't have enough walk away walk out come back in with like and put the cre- put their credit card down <laughs> like really uh, okay Dude, I'll be honest like whatever you want to do whatever but the mm-hmm. stuff with the dogs and all the animals and that, that kind of stuff me. I'm like dude come on like this- it's always going to exist and I it's know, like I you know, know I, it's like that- I hate I hate talking bad about it because you know you don't know everybody's circumstance and I tend to think that like that all these like when you get into sort of like this underground stuff and all this like there's some sort of weird abuse or something that's happened to you that you're looking to identify and all this other stuff, not to be too serious since it's been a, a very unserious interview, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I try and have sympathy for it, but when you disrespect public property or, or private property, or like, you know, you come into like a place like St. Vitus that, you know, I mean, granted we feed people alcohol, so you're sort of fueling the fire for whatever craziness is about to let loose. And you have aggressive music playing, which makes it, you know, even more 
of a problem, but you're also in New York City, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as, as liberal and cool as New York City is, the people who make the laws here are not. So, and if you own a small business, it's incredibly hard to keep it, keep it going. They make it so difficult for small business. You, wanna, you guys want to get into Agenda 21? UN Agenda 21? No. Conspiracy theory? No. I don't know that one. Just rolling people into urban areas, skyscrapers, and then having like a retail center underneath, strip mall style. But the only they make the rent so high that the only people that can that can own them are like Dwayne Reeds and Rite Aids and well, it's like Walmart syndrome. Yeah, like Walmart has been notorious for decades upon decades of going into a small town and undercutting every small business, and then when those small businesses get run out of business. They raise their prices back. Right. Well, specifically I mean, pharmacists. But we're we're immune to it, sort of in New York, mm-hmm. and until like you know, I guess it was a Bloomberg or Giuliani who allowed. You never saw, never ever would you ever see a chain restaurant in New York. Yeah. In any of the boroughs, and then all of a sudden, you know, oh my god, I should have eaten some. <laughs> all I hear is. Um, it's a very metal sounding stomach growl. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those suck in things. <laughs> um. And now, like, you know, you go to Times Square and that's all you see. And it's like for an Olive Garden to be in Times Square is really strange. But anyway, I, I digress. I don't want to go too no, far. No, you're a small business owner in a metropolitan area. Yeah, it's not. It's They make it very, very difficult I mean, it, through various things. And Bloomberg has made the he changed a lot of laws to make uh, to give the sort of like the residents in the neighborhoods a lot more power. Because I think the Lower East Side was a good example of what, you know, when things start clashing. You know, it's like all these bars roll in and then it's loud outside and the people who pay exorbitant amounts of money to live down there to be in that hate it. Right. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, the same thing goes with like Greenpoint and Williamsburg. It's like, I'm sorry, but you're moving to literally the hip, the hippest neighborhoods in the world. And like, what did you expect? If you wanted to be quiet, move to Bay Ridge. Barely even. It'll move to Long Island or move to Westchester or move to Northern Jersey. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't work, you know? And it's like, and I almost feel like they create these laws so that they can fine you and then they can make money off of it. You know, it's, it's a whole thing. So, so, so you as a, as a small business owner now with a bar that has bands, I mean, do you have to have a curfew with the bands? you have to know when they have to stop playing? Uh, no, you have to spend an insane amount of money soundproofing. And... And, you know, eventually, like, we, you know, we, we had a lot of problems in the first year, and then things kind of leveled off. You know, we, we ma- basically, we made enough money to, or we had, a, actually, we had a couple of film shoots that paid for it, um, to soundproof. And soundproof, like, for real, like, serious soundproofing. It, it is. It's incredibly expensive, and it's very specialized. Like, you literally can't put a pinprick of a hole in a wall anymore or else it ruins everything i want to watch you and brad talk about soundproofing <laughs> it's, yeah it's, it's it's like water it's like waterproofing that's the like he's right like you actually it needs to be airtight that's the first that's the first like and everything has to be isolated and not on any walls it's a whole thing it's, it's very boring like, i don't want it's to almost about impossible it. to do in a neoprene becomes your best friend in a club mm-hmm. like it's almost impossible to do. i used to say like when people like as you know i have a lot of friends who are bartenders i mean bar owners but I used to say you, the, the best way to soundproof a bar is free drinks for all the neighbors. And, you know, and I tried that. Yeah. What? And, of course, I get the guy who doesn't drink. Right. And is, like, yelling at me. He's like, well, I don't. I was like, come on down. Let's hang out. The band will be done in 15 minutes. I don't drink. Oh, well, there goes that. Yeah, you're screwed. Okay. Do you have a grill? <laughs> like buns? 
<laughs> yeah, you like buns? Exactly. I got some rice buns if you, you want them. Well, you don't drink, but you know what? This girl, this girl over here does, and she's out a lot tonight. Would you like to meet her? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say why, but I don't think that's going to work either. Yeah. <laughs> okay. With, with this particular fella. I got you. Um, <laughs> then, it's, then it's your job. I get job. the impression. It, was hard to, it's, it wasn't too hard to tell, but uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, you um, might have to step up to the plate. Take uh, one for the team. <sighs> <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> is that a is that Off a, is track. That a tattoo? Is it a what on your on your arm? Right there, that one. This is yeah, no. This is yeah. a this is a Black Sabbath Dio era. Oh god, okay. Sorry. I, have, I have yes and Black Sabbath on my forearms. Yes, cover my cover my bases. Wow. Yeah. It's you, nerd central you are a Prague fan. Yeah, it's nerd central over here. <laughs> I've had one person in my entire life who's even known what this was. What Except for it? at a Yes show, of course, where everybody knows what it is. John Anderson, when I met John Anderson, I met him a couple times. But he, I was backstage at an after party at Madison Square Garden, and uh, and he's like, he sees my tattoo, and he's like, and I was waiting to get an autograph, and he's like, Elias is on Hello, the tattoo. And I was like, I was like, John, have you ever seen anybody else with this? He's like, you had to have. He's like, I've never seen anybody. I was like, no way. That's so cool. How can I be the only person? And he, he autographed it. And he's just like, are you going to get, get that tattooed on there? I was like, no, nah, it'll ruin it. It's a nice picture. It's like, but I'll take a picture with you and it. It's cool. It sounds like Mrs. Doubtfire kind of. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. He, the way he sings is the way he so- sounds when he speaks. <laughs> Love. Stuff like that. Right? Just stuff like that. Did you, so did you go to a lot of Anderson, Bruford, Wigman, and House shows? I did. I saw them twice. I saw them at the beach, and I saw them at uh, Madison Square Garden. How about Union when they all got together? I saw Union. That's all which I know this about was Prague. actually This was actually above the crowd. Like, they had a big thing of this in the back. That's there. it for me in Prague. I don't even know how you get get into it. It, it has to start at an early age. Yeah. Yeah, it did. I had older sisters who... I think Rush is as far as I go. And there's nothing wrong with that, my friend. Nah. Can you... Do you get into any of these, like punk prog like coheed or circus survive or any of that stuff do you relate it to prog? absolutely no no um i played with circus survive uh recently with take a mic sunday in uh in rhode island and uh yeah that dude's voice is really high yeah i mean like but not in like That's- so is coheed's yeah I, right but like it not in like the getty way i mean maybe maybe if i was if i was 16 it would be awesome gateway style but I'm too old and I just, yeah, like, I'm just kind of like, eh. well, you know, and I see these kids and like, I don't think they really understand what's going on, but you know, I don't, I don't want to underestimate anybody. Is it know? hard for you to get into newer bands as you get older? Well, of course. Yeah. Because your brain chemistry works differently. So as a teenager, you know, like things are developing and like you have these, these, these chemicals that react to a certain sound. And then later on it becomes nostalgia when those same chemicals come out. And it's like that sort of changes, obviously I'm overexposed to music. So that is part of it. But you know, like I, I feel like that's why it's harder for people to get that same reaction because the, your brain chemistry has changed. So you're not getting the same endorphin rush and all of that from, you know, what, what you're hearing. It happens on occasion. I mean, we re- we started a record label through the bar and, uh, and you know it's been going really well, and so like I've I've sort of had to like put my biases aside from my old age and be like you know like what do I really get out of this you know like what and and it's it's worked pretty well. I mean there are bands that play the bar. That I'm just like oh my god, this is amazing, so cool. It actually happens quite often considering I see so many, but then everything else just sounds really generic to me. 
You know, it's like, oh, look, retro thrash. Oh, my God, I haven't heard this a thousand times in 1989. <laughs> you know, oh, a doom band. Oh, my God. So they're just playing a Black Sabbath riff, down-tuned, great. Oh, listen, it's a, they're, they're supposedly Southern style, so it's just a down or Pantera riff. You know, it's like, but it's not to say that it's bad, and it's cool that it's back because, like, you know, it gets younger people into it, so... Whatever. But, you, but you really want younger people to get into something new. What, but what is there new? You know, like, That's I mean, we're, we're all, you know, I think we're all music fans here and, and, you know, waiting for that next thing to be new. I think it's like, you know, people always said it was going to be electronic. It's techno. It's this, it's that. And like, no way that's going to work in my world. I'm way too right. old for that. You know, like that's another youth culture thing. And it's very drug oriented, which I'm not a drug person at all. So I don't know. Do you got, when you were in band, like I said, you signed to a label at 19 and then you were back and forth did you go to school at all did you like uh yeah i went to college for um three and a half years and then i dropped out because i was going on tour in europe and i wanted to go <laughs> and then i went back to school and uh that was actually um when i broke up my band mind over matter in 1995 i started a band with walter from quicksand he broke up quicksand i broke up my band we started a band called world's fastest car which um which put out never put out anything but world's slowest car we were but uh we demoed about 100 songs like no joke some of them had surfaced um as some of them a lot of them wound up on the rival school's first record um and i literally was like halfway through the semester walter asked me to play in his band he's a singer my favorite band at the time and like you know really big deal for me and uh and i just immediately quit school <laughs> i was like because he was like he, he wanted to go toward japan like really quickly and we wound up, it wound up not happening till the summer but uh but i was just like oh, that's it this is it he was signed to island def jam it was 1995 it was like you know this is gonna happen it's gonna be great and you know wasn't that simple as i learned in the uh major label system to get stuff released and have you know it was my first experience with that how'd you meet walter uh i knew walter just from playing i opened for quicksand a bunch. i was a big quicksand fan and uh wound up opening for them a bunch of times and then yeah it was it was kind of i don't really we just became friends like i'd be on tour and warp tour would be around and i'd go see quicksand play and walter was always really cool like oh you want to come sit on the side of the stage You're like no way dude front front and center like i love <laughs> uh, quicksand was incredible back then just like magical and uh you know he like i remember this one time in florida he brought me backstage and got me food from the catering at, at warp tour which was really nice because i was like on some shitty hardcore tour and uh yeah i was uh he's an awesome guy and like amazing songwriter prolific as hell and really super cool and we then after world's fastest car i started a band called Aerotype 11 which was signed to walter's label walter and sammy started a label some right yeah and and we put out two records on some so like uh, my relationship kind of continued and and then obviously Aerotype broke up instruction started um whatever but yeah it's like Walter and I have like a long history of friendship. He's he's a good dude. He's a real deal. Has Quicksand played Saint Vitus yet? No, they were supposed to like four times, and it never <laughs> happened. So when did Primitive Sergio's in the Deftones? Why the hell does he want to play freaking Saint Vitus? Give me a break. <laughs> uh, Primitive Weapons. When did that kind of come about? Primitive Weapons came about when uh, I was in a band called Godfire's Man. I I, I was very frustrated with uh, with playing sort of like alt rock stuff like i i felt like i just felt like that that maybe my voice just wasn't gonna sell any records or but you know i had like big management with that band all that stuff and it's just like they wanted us to do the whole shine down midwest radio thing and i really 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 hate that i hate that more than jazz i think 
Um, Red State Rock? Yeah, it's just so freaking generic. It's unbelievable. I, I interviewed Shinedown a couple times. Man, they're the nicest dudes. Wrote, oh, yeah, they're I super nice. I wrote an nice. e on Shinedown that you can get from iTunes. And, really? Yeah, and for Atlantic, and yeah, they are the nicest They're so nice. Ever. Then I hear, and I've seen them play a number of times, and I've talked to them, it's like, there's something that's not letting me get into But this. they have to exist. That's yeah. the whole thing. So yeah. it's fine. Yeah. And good, you know, people... Yeah, and there's, there's fans who want that and need that. Right, that's and that, that style of music pro- keeps terrestrial radio in business, and that's cool, and yeah. everybody feeds off of it, yeah. and whatever's left is great. And um, it's great that they're not jerks. They're jerks would be easy, but they're just so cool. Yeah, I'm sure Nickelback are jerks. No, they're really nice, actually. Oh, are they really? Yeah, I interviewed them years ago. That Chad ago. guy just seems like a jerk. He's, he's, he's just a businessman, and he knows that's how obvious. to... And he knows how to write the songs. Maybe, maybe we should all pick up on that businessman thing. Um, and the fact is, they're like they're like a, a, a multi million dollar indie band. You know? Oh it's yeah, like no, I know. Roadrunner, it's sort of. Come yeah. on, Roadrunner was. Uh, come yeah. on. But they're they're super nice. Most everybody's cool that I've ever talked to. Most everybody's just nice and genuine. They got very few get fast tracked. They come up the same way. P.S. Nicest band in the world, Papa Roach. Okay. Really? Oh, the greatest. The greatest. Absolutely amazing. Amazing. Really? Jacoby yeah. is so cool. The One of my favorite band bands I've cool. ever toured with. So cool. And I've, I, the stuff I saw, I won't get into it, but oh my God. Unbelievable. Those, those guys live it. <laughs> it's fun stuff. Get into it. Yeah. <laughs> get into it. No. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's children and stuff involved. I, I can't, you know. I mean, not like in a sexual way. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh boy! But yeah, so I got I, I got frustrated <laughs> with that whole thing. And, and, uh, <laughs> no, no way, man. No way. Um, if only dude. It's illegal, dude. Um, but yeah, so uh, my Dave, who's uh, our events director at Vitus, this is when I was, this is way before any of that started. He approached me and he was just like, "I want to do a band with you and this guy Chris Enriquez, who was in a band called On the Mind of Princes on Long Island. He's an amazing drummer." And I was just like, "All right, dude." I was like, "As long as I don't have to sing." I still had gay for Johnny Depp. That was like in full swing in overseas. And, um, and I was like, sure, man. I just like, I don't want to sing. I'm so sick of singing. So that was kind of where primitive weapons came from. And yeah, we got signed up prosthetic really quickly. And, and, uh, and now we're not with prosthetic anymore, but luckily we have our own record label. So we just do it ourselves. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool. Like, uh, I'm, I'm always happy. Like when we draw really well here in New York and, you know, we try and tour, but it's kind of hard. I mean, I think it's hard for everybody now. It's so hard. Yeah, Again, man, do the do yeah. the Bob Pollard tour the way he always did GBV. He would tour for three weeks and then go home. He hated <laughs> being away from Dayton, Ohio. I think that's the best. Like, got to go to Hoagie's Pizza tour model ever. You know, do your routing for a couple weeks, come back. If you have the power to do that and actually make money, yeah, it's great. But like that, that's the thing is that there's with the money involved in touring is so expensive, and that's why like labels don't support rock bands anymore because it's like mm. the amount of money that it takes to support a rock band to get to the point where they're actually making a profit is it's almost impossible. So you know, it's like that's why you have eighteen year old you know like record labels should just sign eighteen year olds, buy them a van, and go go for it, kids. You know. So in five years you'll be great right now you kind of suck but we see the potential but that's also why you get crap like black black veil brides and you know like uh what the fuck asking alexandria oh my god attack attack all right now let's talk about the worst music in the world oh man like let's do it. it's the ipod <laughs> shuffle generation it's what it is it's, it's like, like i don't know what the fuck i'm listening song. to i don't know what genre this is yeah. i'm just gonna fucking throw it all together in one song and crabcore like what what seriously <laughs> we've had a few crab bands play at the bar and it's like 
I'm just looking like, what the fuck are you, what could you possibly like, first of all, you're choreographing, which is the lamest thing in the world. And then secondly, <laughs> like, like seriously, it's what you fucking like warrant tracks did. for some reason. Like, but like, dude, but like, I mean, like that attack attack song, the really popular one, uh, Shipley, Shapely, whatever the fuck it is. Oh my God. Like what the fuck? It's like, and all those songs have the dumb dub dubstep fucking breakdown. Which, like, takes <laughs> zero talent. It's just like, hey, I bought... Look at this crappy Line 6 fucking amp I just bought at fucking Guitar Center that that goes to, like, you know, and my guitar can tune to, like, a, like has 19 strings on it and can go... Like, <laughs> like, what the fuck? There's no songwriting. There's no genre. And, like, this... like I remember I was at South By last year and, and Justin and I were walking around looking for something or other, probably a free open bar, and, like, and we mistakenly walked into this show through a back door and it was asking Alexandria on stage... And I was like, and the band was fucking terrible. The singer thought he was in Motley Crue. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. It was like, it was seriously a fucking train wreck. And people probably loved it. No, it was all 14-year-old girls. So they're onto something. Right. It was like being at a Bouncing Soul show in 1992. It was like, seriously, it's like, wow, girls like this music? Who the fuck knew? And like, I, I, I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. And there were, all these girls are like doing, they're doing the hip-hop dance, but, but techno uh, the fist, fist thing i'm like i was completely blown away and it, literally at that moment i went i am fucking old and i'm completely out of touch with this shit but it's shit and that's the point and like i just want i want there to be a rule and i want everybody to it, 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 i, I should have had more coffee so i just would be a lot better <laughs> <laughs> the, like seriously i just it should be school curriculum that everybody has to listen to the beatles for a certain amount of time in their life when they're young so that they get an idea a sense of songwriting and melody and harmony because what these bands do now like this is a, this is the result of a beatless society <laughs> you know what i mean like you get the basics down first paul mccartney and john lennon invented modern music between the beatles and pink floyd you have every single genre of music invented by 1972 technology just changed that's all so so i mean seriously i think that's what should happen it should be mandatory so that kids can grow up with a sense of what a song is and not this mishmash of bullshit. Because, I'm sorry, like, I, like the dubstep drop, like, I, granted, it's dance music, so who gives a shit? It's, it's really a non, who gives a fuck? It just gets absorbed into mainstream. It's not really real. And everybody will regret liking it in five years. But the, like, fucking, like, this, this fucking asking Alexandria, attack, attack, whatever the fuck. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, design the skyline. Have you seen that train wreck? Yeah. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? Is- it's all I would the, never it's, know by that it's band like name. these Filipino kids with this like swoopy hair, and it's all like, and they oh, why do they all have their m- mics, their microphones wrapped in like neon pink, and like like and they got like stripes in their hair, and like and it's like, and then it sounds like Dillinger Escape Plan for like twenty seconds, and then they do the doom doom doom, and it's like, oh my god, you, seriously, I would, is this is this video? Would be good. <laughs> I think everybody should go first design the sky. We, this is what I used to do on Mondays when I worked Mondays with this guy, John, or my bun guy. We would like try and out shit each other with fucking crappy. What, what is it called? What do you call that genre? I don't know. I think I think I've now reached a point where I'm like, cool. I'm out of touch. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> I have to disagree with your mandatory Beatles thing, and here's here's why. Oh my god, this because is going to be a really big argument. No, no, trust me, because I I when I when I got. Into the Beatles, I was like, I want UK releases only, and I've got the mono box set. Mon- it was stereo. all mixed for mono. That's the way it should be heard. That's what I have. I have the mono. Yeah. You know, and it's it's what well, mono. What? No, I have mono right now. <laughs> um, 
was kissing a fish before I came in. Um, <laughs> it's all mixed from Mana up to um, the last two records. Yeah, Mono. the last two. Sergeant Pepper's, I think, was the last one that mm-hmm. they did for Mana. Yeah. So it, and it sounds wonderful. You Mono. read Here, There, and Everywhere? No, Jeff but I, book? no I've read uh, the Bob Spitz, the Beatles, book, uh-huh. which is a great one. Um, I think you need to grow up and listen to crap and then discover it. Because then you know, it's like, it's like when you get to college and go, oh, who's right. this I'm Tom having Waits a waiting guy? for government moment right now. What? So, so you get, you, you grow up with crap, mm-hmm. but, and then you discover, but when do you discover it? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's that but whole Zen, it. it's that whole baby in the tire Zen thing. So you learn you, know? you forget, but when, yeah. they, but they but when do they learn it? it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you talking loud? Yeah, I'm, I'm, you, I'm, now I'm, you're talking to yourself. Can I'm, you just talk in a normal voice? We're recording now from um, Benali. Or excuse me, Nabali. That's where it is. Well, you Nabali. Know, you know a place far, far, yeah. far away. It's always 67 degrees. Reminds me of like when I was at AP, I started there in 02. And it was oh, God like, help us. Yeah. It was like coal chamber cover. And the one that really changed it was the dashboard cover. We did this dashboard confessional cover and it sold really well. And they were, So then it was like it was like Good Charlotte, then Disturbed. It was like this switching off till it transitioned. And then uh, all all that new metal stuff like wasn't popular anymore, but it, there were so many bands still doing that. Like it takes so long for a genre, even a flash in the pan genre, to kind of die out. Like I felt like it was five years later and we're still getting all these new metal CDs. I was like, how are people still doing this? And I feel like it's the same with this whatever and it still swoopy hair thing. Like, yeah, like it's like I feel like a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, this is kind of played out. And it just like seems like it takes so long for the momentum to end. I think it's like any other kind of genres because there's always going to be <laughs> Ramon-style punk bands, you know? There are always going to be bands that, oh, that, that follow that, you know? Yeah, but I feel like that has like a timeless quality to it where this is so of a moment. Does it really? All right. But here's All right the- admission time. I hate the Ramones. Oh, wow. <laughs> Podcast over. The- <laughs> No, not only no. that, I'm erasing the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be like the world's think, fastest car think podcast. I'm kidding. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no one's going to Remember, I have the power Somebody to edit. Sell it on eBay. <laughs> I heard it was great. No By one's way, heard it. We're changing this to you saying you love the Ramones. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Uh, <laughs> Mandatory first, Ramones listening. Well, the first four records. I, it just never did anything for me. And that's okay. Yeah. Is it? It is. A, yeah, it is. It's okay. like I don't like Dylan either. It's really hard for. Like, I, 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 I struggle with this. Yeah. From a muso point of view. I should really be like this. Should, this is this should be part of the curriculum, mm-hmm. but it's just like it never it never did anything for me. And I think it's because I was so into prog rock as a kid that that the Ramones were like this is dumb. And it took me a long time to sort of appreciate. But it's it's I don't see the Ramones as being timeless personally, um, and neither with Dylan either. I think Dylan is a very timeful sound. But you know, as I get older, you know, like things that I didn't like as a kid make more sense to me. So in in a context, I appreciate the Ramones and I get what they did changing things. But am I going to listen to a Ramones record now? It's not. I never right. will. Well, they were yeah. a reaction to prog rock. So I, if you're uh, a big prog rock fan, that's probably why they didn't. Well, yeah, but resonate. I didn't. I didn't mind that, and I I think I think even down to people like Phil Collins, oh, like. And even Robert Fripp, they all appreciated the idea of punk rock because they realized that things had gotten bloated and that they needed, like, they needed a kick in the ass. Right. And, or music did. But what punk rock did is it, it, is it gave people with uh, a very average to even not so great musical ability the chance to play an instrument and voice themselves. And then, of course, it all got ruined because voicing yourself really became pointless. Well, I mean, uh, you can <laughs> say the same thing for Velvet Underground. You know, you don't have to really be able to play. With, you know that that also opened the door. Yeah, but Lou Reed wrote great songs. 
Peter Rucker songs. Yeah, I mean, and and the Velvet Underground was so far ahead of their time. It's yeah. it crazy. Like it literally skips thirty years before you get, you know, pavement. You know, or like mm-hmm. you know the other things that were being influenced by by Velvet Underground. Pavement you know. or guided by voices. Well, GBV is influenced by everything. Mm-hmm. You know, including prog rock. Yeah, yeah, big time. Mostly well, the Who, though. He does. He does. He does a Roger Daltrey very well. Yeah, yeah. That's his whole shtick, and he does it on purpose. That's why I love it. Like, yeah, I'm singing in English accent. That's what I do. <laughs> Rob Pollard, love him. But I think. Yeah, I mean, I think anything with any kind of artistic weight, like, shouldn't appeal to everyone. Like, if you're trying to appeal to everyone, then. But Brad it's... and I are going to judge you about that Ramones comment forever. So. Whatever, dude. <laughs> I didn't like the Sex Pistols, honestly, until for some reason I read uh, "No Irish, No Dogs, No No Blacks," the Johnny Rotten. Uh, autobiography Mm -hmm. and it was like like totally changed my view of like of the sex pistols because i i didn't like the sex pistols because i hated like their fans i just thought it was like such a generic uniform thing and and then i read that that book and then saw filth and fury which you know it was like he he talks about how he hated the uniform and how like you know once it became a uniform it was no longer a rebellion and like and and like that like i think the thing that turned me the most on of the sex pistols was getting into pil because PIL, like that guy could have done anything at that time, and he did PIL. Right. And it's like those records are incredible. Second edition, Metalbox, unbelievably freaking weird record. Hated those records. Hated them so much. Great records, yeah. amazing. And like, like so, I you know, I, one day maybe I'll have a moment with the Ramones that'll that'll do something. I mean, you know, it comes on. You, you probably can't, won't because there's. I mean, it's very specific. It, it's, it's, it's very it's, specific. It's very of a time. It's very much like hardcore, dude. It's mm-hmm. like you either. You like it or you don't. It's and just a sped up pop like music. It. Yeah, it's almost it. like fifties songs. Flat, it's like by their own admission. Yeah, you, if like if you got in the remote, like knowing your taste, I would probably say you know listen to Too Tough to Die before you listen to the first one. You know, like go, like go into when right. they're you know when they when they could figure out how to play and their yeah. musicianship was more solid and they got you know their best drummer that was Richie. You know what I but mean? I do, but the thing the about it is that I do feel like the musicianship exactly. <laughs> the musicianship was solid and it was unprecedented at the mm-hmm. time. No one played like that. You know, maybe the Stooges a little bit, but all like, downstroke. Yeah, like just like like they were inventing like a style mm-hmm. of guitar mm-hmm. that like has been copied over and over and over again. But you know, maybe done better you know over time i don't know like but that then the innocence is lost so it's a whole different story but mm-hmm. yeah i mean i don't know like i you know don't beat me up for it oh, but you know. i'll just edit your podcast <laughs> how, do you feel, how do you feel about bad brains <laughs> i love bad brains yeah i saw bad brains on the quickness tour it's freaking yeah. awesome oh that's so such good. a great record so great even with all the homophobic shit just kind of like bruised by that <laughs> it's all right the rosters it happens yeah know? it's a weird a weird tenant that goes in there for that so you're just uh you're like, you know what? I can see why you and Skirty like have that bar together because you're both. It's, it's you're hard to pin down on what you do, but your music, your your like like your your music source is very valid. Like what you listen to, what you like, what you don't like. I'm a, I'm a you're, fan. I mean, yeah. you know, like the the metal part of Vitus is very much my teenage years. You know, and like that's uh, and I, I you know I can. That's why a lot of times you come in there, you're going to hear a lot of older Merciful Fate and, and King Diamond and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I went from metal to hardcore in my late teens, you know, because I picked up an instrument. And honestly, I'm not a good enough guitar player to play metal. So hardcore made sense. <laughs> <laughs> so I just tried to write Voivod songs in a hardcore context. And that's pretty much what came out with a lot of the early stuff that I did. Um, but yeah, it's like a, I just it's just being a music fan. 
you know? And it, usually it kind of leans towards the dark side, you know? That's what I always say. It's like, ah, oh, it's dark, you know? I like ethereal goth, like anybody, you know? It's all the girls that wouldn't have sex with me in high school. <laughs> Now they can come to your bar. That's what it's all Yeah, about. now they can come to my bar and I <laughs> still don't have sex with them. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Artie Shepard. Artie Shepard. If you have not been to his bar, St. Vitus, in Greenpoint, you should go. I'll probably be there because it's very close to my apartment. <laughs> and I don't like the sun. So <laughs> it, it's super dark in there. Everything's painted black. It's dark because it's all about metal. Yeah, it's it's all about metal. And uh, it's one of those bars where when they do turn the lights on, you're like, oh god, oh please turn the lights back off. I saw a really good show there recently. Hmm? Um, fake problems and the Menzingers. Oh my god, that's a and both d- bands were great. I love both those bands. And I got to hang out with former Going Off Track guest Laura Stevenson, who did a song with Fake Problems. Really? She did a interpretive dance to one of their songs because I guess they toured together and had this whole thing worked out. But it was. Um, Super impressive. Uh, both those bands are incredible. Uh, Menzinger's records just keep getting better and better, and Fake Problems are just awesome. Yeah, you know what? I hadn't seen Fake Problems in a while, and I was, I've was i always liked them and loved Cleese to tour with them, but I was blown away by especially their new stuff. It sounded so good. They're so tight, and Chris is such a great front man. And He's really awesome. All the Derek, all those dudes are awesome, so I was really, really impressed. You guys should check out all their records. And you should check us out. Go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash going off track. You want to send us a lovely email or message or just go, hey, I like these dudes. Uh, leave us a review on the iTunes if you so are inclined. And if you go to goingofftrack.com, there's a little button called donate. You can donate it to us because as with many podcasts, breaking even is the goal. And we are nowhere near that. And if you enjoy what you're hearing and want to want it to continue... Hit donate and send us some dough. We would really like that because um, we like doing it. We hope you like listening to it. Or if you just want to be a passive listener and enjoy what you're liking, do that because that's how I am with most every podcast I listen to. Yeah, I'm like, I should leave a review and then I don't. And Sometimes like, I do. Kissing contest I do because I love that podcast. I should donate to Daniel, the Dana Gould Hour because it is my favorite podcast ever. And I want them, I want it to be weekly so bad, but it's so good. Yeah, how often is it? Uh, whenever he wants to do it. Gotcha. It's really, he's like, sorry, it's been a few months. And you're like, ah, but it just makes you want it so much more. He's so good. I would love to have him in here. He'd be a dream, a literal dream. We'll see you guys next week. And I always say see. It's like writing, you hear that in an email. You don't hear <laughs> Wait, anything. Let's talk about how having him here would be a literal dream. You would yeah. just go into like a dream state if you saw him. Yeah, I would. I would be completely lucid and I'd probably start <laughs> making out with him. Dana, Dana, do you remember when we auditioned for that pilot together and my role went to Bobcat Goldthwait? Mm, true story. We'll talk about it. Hopefully. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.